Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this Flint briefing call uh, looking at yesterday's spring statement and the political and economic damage limitation effort. Uh, I'm Kieran Horwich. I'm a partner here at Flint, and I'm joined today by my colleagues Tim Pitt, who's a former advisor to Chancellors Philip Hammond and Sajid Javid, and also Giles Wilkes, who was an advisor to former Business Secretary Vince Cable and former Prime Minister Theresa May. It's been a difficult morning um, and against the increasing concerns about the cost of living and, and particularly the burden that this places on the poorest in the UK, the Chancellor's spring statement hasn't landed particularly well. So on our call today, we're going to look at what the Chancellor announced and the policy implications of uh, those announcements. Um, we'll also think about how this fits against the wider economic picture for the UK uh, and what this means for the political landscape, including the impact on the Conservative Party, uh, on Sunak himself, uh, and what this means for the run up to the next general election. Um, as usual, we've we've muted all of the lines and we won't take any questions during the call. But if there is anything that you'd like to pick up on afterwards, please do let us know. Um, so to kick us off, Tim, before we get into some of the detail, will you please give us an overview of, of the key themes and announcements that, that Sunak made yesterday? Thanks, Karen. Uh, sure. Look, I mean, uh, uh, originally, the, the, the Chancellor said he wanted this to be a pretty low-key policy light uh, event. I, I think given the, the political situation and the pressure he was already under on cost of living, that was always very, very unlikely that he was going to be able to hold to that. And the events in, in, in Ukraine and the added impact that's going to have on living standards, I think, meant um, he, you know, he was always going to have to do something fairly significant uh, yesterday. But ultimately, yesterday was always going to be primarily an, an exercise about economic and political damage uh, limitation. There was only so much the Chancellor can do uh, in the scale of the, of the, of the nature of the, of, the, of the cost of living crisis uh, we are about to see. And, and Giles will come on to talk to, about this in a bit more detail. But a combination of, of the existing inflationary pressures in the economy combined with, with that added inflationary fallout from, from the war in Ukraine. That means we are facing a, you know, a historically really, really big hit to living standards. And I don't think, you know, that is quite computed in, in policy and political circles yet. You know, this, you know, the OBR confirmed yesterday, you know, we're going to see the biggest squeeze on income since, since the 1950s, which is a, a deeply depressing statistic, particularly given uh, that living standards have hardly risen anyway over, over the last decade or so because of a combination of, sort of various factors, obviously the, the, the financial crisis and, and, and COVID being foremost among them. So you know, yesterday was always going to be focused primarily on, on what short-term support the Chancellor was going to provide to households uh, and, and businesses. And essentially what, what he did was, was deliver, on the face of it at, at least, a, a sort of broad-based set of measures of support. So the, so the headlines were, were a 5p cut in fuel duty, which lasts for, for 12 months in theory, though whether or not he's actually able to raise it back up again next March remains to be seen, given no Chancellor uh, has been able to raise raise fuel duty in, in, in well over a decade. Then there were some quite big moves on, on personal tax. He raised the threshold at which people start paying national insurance contributions to, to £12,750. That's, that's a simplification of the personal tax system. It equalises the rate at which you start paying national insurance contributions with the rate at which you start paying income tax. And then there was some pretty small additional support for, for, the, for the most vulnerable households, just an extra £500 million uh, for then. From, from, from a business perspective, there wasn't much in, in, in the short term, just, again, some pretty limited support um, 
with the only major measure being the employment allowance being raised to, to £5,000 to help small businesses. I think more significantly for, for, for business, and we'll come on to this, the, the Chancellor laid out his plan to cut and reform business taxes medium term. So he said the Treasury would consult on reforms in three areas um, ahead of announcing permanent changes at the autumn budget. So on investment, we've got the super deduction ends, ends next April. So ahead of that, they're going to consult on cuts and reforms to investment incentives. On skills, he said he would look at how the tax system and particularly the apprenticeship levy can be used to encourage employers to invest more in adult training. And then on innovation, he's obviously announced um, some reforms already to the R&D tax credit system. He also hinted uh, that some further reforms may uh, come on those. And Giles will, Giles will touch on those in a bit more detail uh, in a bit. So that was the overall overall package. Now, as I say, given the scale of hit, hit coming to incomes, it was only ever going to be an exercise uh, in, in damage limitation. There was no way he could ever offset all of the pain households are about to feel, not just because of the impact, if you tried to do that, the impact that would have on the public finances, but also probably more relevantly, because if, you know, if you've got inflation already set to be 8%, this year, if he'd sort of really blown the doors off on, on, on borrowing, he just would have made that inflationary problem even uh, worse. So the, the chance was hoping that that, that provide that providing the sort of reasonably significant support that he did yesterday aimed at um, middle England, in the kind of middle England in, in the form of, of, in theory, some head, headline grabbing tax cuts. He was going to have done enough to at least soften the blow for households you know, and politically gain a, a kind of positive reception from from Tory uh, backbenchers and, and 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 the right wing press. I think, unfortunately, for the Chancellor, you know, come to talk about this. I think, on the face of it, he doesn't seem to have limited very much of of the damage either politically or economically. Uh, so, look, I think you know it, it, it'll only mitigate a small part of the shock facing households uh, over the next year or so, and 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 a difficult period. Highs. Uh, I think lies ahead both for the economy and 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 politically for the Conservatives. Thanks, Tim. And um, we'll, we'll come to talk about some of those challenges, particularly on the political side, in a bit. Um, but Giles, turning to you next, will you will you talk us through the economic backdrop for yesterday's statement and and how bad is the situation? How uh, what 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 does it really mean for the Chancellor? Thank you, Kieran. Now, um. Tim is right that there's been a gloomy reaction to the spring statement, but I would say that for a Chancellor facing what may well be the most extreme external shock in terms of, you know, the commodity prices we have to pay for, the energy bills that the country as a whole has to pay for, since at least the 1970s, the picture painted by the Office for Budget Responsibility is actually not too bad if you're talking about you know, GDP and employment and those things. I mean, to remind listeners of the point we made in our last call, in the short term, what we're seeing right now is what you might call a pure supply side shock, which puts up inflation, definitely, and lowers growth. But because it came during a year when GDP was already expected to be rebounding really strongly from those low levels post-COVID, what comes out in the wash is still a year of growth, I think around 2%, as opposed to maybe 4% before all of this. Uh, and no particularly sharp rise in unemployment, but a lot of extra inflation on top of what was already high levels that absolutely bust through what we're meant to be targeting in this country, which is 2%. So, so we had been expecting around 4% inflation peak last October, which feels like such a long time ago. It now might hit 8.5%, maybe even 10 Anyway, where the pain is therefore going to be felt is in household incomes, which even after the measures that Tim described... Um, are set to face the worst fall since the 50s. 
And that's um, and the Chancellor's done surprisingly little, in my view, to cushion that blow, particularly at the bottom of the income distribution, where most incomes are not earned in wages, and therefore his measures on national insurance and income tax don't make a difference. Perhaps it, this is in part because, I mean, as a chance of worrying about the under, underlying strength of the economy, and because that underlying strength is still okay, he may have fewer concerns than the Chancellor would normally have that failing to act right now could lead to precipitate a downward spiral and further damage. In fact, I mean, because some of the price shock is already fed into wages, which are rising faster than the OBR was expecting last autumn, and nominal incomes more generally, the Chancellor is in the unusual position of being able to milk a more tax-rich economy, even while that economy's growth is marked down. So the key variable, nominal gross domestic product, which is GDP measured in cash terms, is around 50 billion higher on the forecasts. That's about 2% in the medium term than was expected last October. And that tends to translate into 25 or 30 billion pounds more tax revenues. And even with interest and inflation linked costs rising, in particular, we're having a really big one-off hit in, of debt interest because of the way we've got an awful lot of index linked debt in this country. This has left him with more room than he had last autumn. So for me, the surprise, he didn't use more of that room, but banked some of it. So the OBR, um, appears to share the Bank of England's view also that this inflationary hump will pass through without lasting damage or permanently changing people's expectations about the economy. In particular, with no structural shift upwards in interest rates. So the Chancellor can enjoy nominal GDP being permanently high by 50 billion, but with interest costs nowhere near the scary level they might, um, they, they might have been. So maybe interest costs 10 billion higher. So, and that's what basically pays for the giveaway Mr. Sunak was able to sprinkle over voters in, in 2024. So in theory, this still gives him some leeway. And as Tim has hinted, and we'll maybe discuss more, he might have to use that leeway if political reaction to this um, spring statement is as bad as you think. However, this phlegmatic picture that gives him some options does still contain significant risks. I would say the biggest one is obviously that the war keeps energy prices elevated for much longer. And there are plenty of circumstances you can imagine where the sanctions on Russia just last for many, many years, and oil and gas prices in particular have to stay high. Another big risk is that rates have to rise more. In other words, that right now they're anticipating that this inflationary hump can be controlled with rates not breaching 2%. What if that, in fact, is in 3 or 4%? That makes a big difference. Um, and not only to the um, interest cost of the government, but to everybody's um, budget who has a mortgage. Uh, and that's another risk, that households may not be as bouncy or resilient as the OBR and Mr. Sonic need them to be in the face of this big hit to their living standards. So let's face it, I mean, each of the last few OBR updates post-COVID have been radically changing, changed the forward-looking picture. So six months later, we've always been saying, wow, what a lot has changed in six months. I would not bet against that happening again this autumn. Back to you, Kieran. Thanks very much, Giles, um, and paints a slightly confusing picture for, for many of us. Um, but Tim, let, let's go back to the political landscape. And, and you alluded to it before, and, and Giles has mentioned as well. What, what does the fact um, that, that this statement hasn't gone down brilliantly mean for the Conservative Party, particularly as it looks towards the general election in 2024? And, and what does it mean for Sunak personally? Yeah, thanks, Kieran. Look, I, I think, as you say, it was a highly political statement in a, in a number of ways, and 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 I think it's important to draw a distinction between the internal politics within the Tory party and and the wider political impact for the government. So, in in terms of the internal politics, look, I mean, after the massive tax rises he, rises he introduced last year, 
uh, Rishi Sunak has been under huge pressure from the right of the party to show that he can make good on, on his pledge to deliver tax cuts ahead of the next election. Um, now, he always wanted to do that anyway. He essentially sees himself as an instinctively low tax for- Tory who was, who was forced by circumstance into those really big tax rises last year. But I do think that the possibility of a leadership election in the next few months, even if that possibility is now receding, probably made him move earlier than, than, than he otherwise would 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 have done. You know, he knew in those circumstances he'd, he'd be faced with someone like Liz Truss calling for significant uh, tax cuts. So, you know, as, as well as looking to provide meaningful support to households, a big part of yesterday's package, I think, was about the chance of trying to prove his tax cutting credentials uh, within, within the Tory party. You know, ultimately, it doesn't seem to have worked terribly well. Um, I, I, and that's because it's all a bit smoke and mirrors. You know, essentially, as Giles mentioned, the, the OBR reduced their forecast for, for borrowing by about 20 billion because much higher than expected inflation means the tax rises the Chancellor announced last year are going to raise lots more than, than he thought when, when he announced them. You know, in simple terms, if you freeze the income tax threshold, which he did last March, uh, you freeze those in cash terms, you get a lot more revenue when inflation is at 8% than, than, than when it is at, is at 3, 3%. And what the Chancellor did yesterday was essentially hand some of those higher than expected tax revenues back in the form of the, of the rise in the national insurance threshold and, and, and the future income tax uh, cut. But even though he, you know, he claimed yesterday that what he announced were the biggest personal tax cuts in, in a quarter of a century, because of inflation, those tax revenues as a share of the economy are still actually going to be slightly higher medium term than what was forecast at, at the budget in the autumn, still their highest since the, the 1950s. Now, politically, the Chancellor's hope was that people were going to focus on the headline cuts, not on the overall uh, tax takes. Uh, but, you know, there were some supportive noises from the back benches yesterday, but, but the reaction from the right-wing media this morning certainly hasn't been, I think, what, what, what the Treasury would have hoped for. And in policy circles, I think there are some fairly legitimate uh, criticisms about uh, the sort of lack of coherence on, on, on the personal tax side. I think the other thing that, you know, there's a lot of folks on, on the by the chance on, on delivering the, the tax cuts yesterday. I think the other area where he is potentially exposed is in terms of the lack of support for the most uh, the most vulnerable. So the, the Treasury will argue they've already provided a, a significant uh, package of support. There's a big rise in the national living wage coming in April. There was a big injection into universal credit at the autumn budget, and, and there was the bespoke energy package announced in February. But given the scale of the hit the poorest households are about to face, I think there are real questions about why there wasn't more targeted support for them yesterday. And I do think it's entirely possible the Chancellor is going to be forced to come back and provide more support to those worst off uh, certainly at the budget in the autumn and possibly before then, ahead of the uh, next price rise in, 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 in energy prices in October. Now, you know, bluntly, the, the sort of is- that, that issue around what he's done on benefits is probably less of an issue internally within, within the Tory party. But I do think it is more of a problem when it comes to how the party is perceived externally. And, and I think here, both Sunak himself, but also the Conservative Party more broadly, have, have really quite a, quite a significant problem. So uh, economic competence has long been a key Conservative edge over Labour, but there are clear signs now that that is waning. So the polling after yesterday's statement showed there was quite strong support for the, for the, for the, for the, measures, for the measures individually, but by a big margin, and sort of three to one, people think the government should be doing more. And when it comes to the government's overall handling of the economy, 
public approval is very significantly down on this year, this time last year, and most worrying for the for the Conservatives, Labour now lead the uh, on on who the public most trusts to, to to handle the economy, which is something we we basically haven't seen uh, since since 2010 already for very brief periods. So look, I think that that's a really big problem for for the, for, the, for the Tories. You know, if the, if the public lose faith in your economic competence as a government, your time, generally speaking, is 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 likely to be running. Out. Now, the, the Conservatives will hope that however bad the squeeze is in the short term, you know, if it passes within within the next 18 months, you know, which means by the next election, they can say the worst is behind us, that maybe they'll still be OK and they can say stick with us, things things are now getting better. And that ultimately is what they managed to do in, in, in 2015. So there was a, a hit to living standards mid-Parliament, but by the time of the election, real wages were growing strongly and that helped the Conservatives win win a majority. And so that's what they'll be hoping happens again. That is much harder to do, though, 14 years into a government than it is five years in, into a government. And the, and the hit to living standards looks set to be much worse this time around and much more concentrated, which I think may make it you know, much harder for the Tories to recover their, their reputation on economic competence, even if things do turn around uh, on, on cost of living. And, and if the 2010s are the precedent the Tories are banking on, the more worrying precedent for them, I think, is, is the 1990s. You know, once the Tories lost their reputation for economic competence after the ERM debacle, they never recovered it, even though sort of mid-late 90s you had a, a much improved economic outlook. So look, lots of people focus on, on whether the Chancellor made the right calls yesterday. And as I say, it doesn't seem to have landed uh, particularly well today. But ultimately, he was never going to be able to take away all the, the pain that is coming. And there is no escaping um, you know what is going to be a very brutal hit, hit to living standards, and I think the political the political implications for 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 the Tories are likely to be very very difficult. Back to you, Karen. Thanks very much, Tim. So, Charles, against that, we obviously saw yesterday that the Chancellor was quite keen to talk about the longer term picture um, and measures to try and drive growth. Can you talk to us a bit more about what he said on that? Yeah, thank you, Kieran. I mean, yes, the Chancellor would like to be judged more on his plans to get growth going again. And in fact, I mean, he almost touchingly delivered a number of shout outs to his May's lecture, which I mean, some of you may remember was delivered, I think, on the February the 24th, the very same day that Russia invaded Ukraine and therefore didn't receive the billing it might have for what is normally a real centrepiece event. So whenever you hear the phrase coming from his lips, capital people ideas, you're hearing Mr. Sonic's growth mantra. And yesterday he wanted to put a little more flesh on those bones, but it was only a little. I mean, starting with the last of them, ideas, um, and under that heading, as expected, he confirmed the rising R&D budget, which is valuable, and, um, and also the direction of travel for the R&D tax credit consultation, which might sound very boring but it's one it's a topic that's associated with many billions of fiscal pounds and uh, affects R&D throughout the whole economy and so there's a multiple of those billions of pounds in terms of the R&D activity that actually supports and he set out a consultation over a year ago to try to reform this the major changes as expected are to include more of the tech economy within the scheme I mean cloud computing and the like and also make it harder to claim credits for work that happens outside of the UK, although not impossible with some reasonable exceptions for clinical trials, for example. The idea being, obviously, that R&D is great and it's great for the people who, who do it. But to support it, you need to show, show it helps your own economy, not just the whole world's economy. And for the real geeks out there, um, pure mathematics is now a qualifying cost. I personally chalk this up to Dominic Cummings' continuous 
um, influence on the tech agenda, but also pure mathematics is extremely relevant to things like quantum, which is a, a growing technological interest for the UK. Of possibly wider interest, the Chancellor's dropped tantalising hints of where he wants to go with tax support for investment, which was a really big theme in that May's lecture. And he laid out a number of options for what will follow the end of the super deduction that Tim referred to earlier and might be discussed in the autumn. So these range from the relatively modest, like an idea that costs about a billion pounds, like raising the annual investment allowance permanently to half a million pounds. And that's the amount you can invest in the write off all against tax to an unprecedented idea like full expensing of capital investment, which he thinks would cost 11 billion pounds. And you can uh, expect more on this um, in the autumn as he tests out his ideas with um, with potential stakeholders. So, so thanks, Charles. You, you've talked there a lot about what was in the statement and, and what he was he was saying. What was missing? Yeah, um, well, I'd say the most disappointing of those three big words are people. There's very little about that that was new. He just reiterated some of the things the government's already doing. And it's a pity because weak skills um, are a really perennial concern for business. This may be reflected Sonic's rather less grabby style as a cabinet minister, unlike previously dominant chancellors like Gordon Brown or George Osborne, Rishi Sunak is not attempting to unfold all of government policy within the walls of the Treasury all the time. I mean, that's my best excuse I can think for that absence and for other notable absences. I mean, net zero was mentioned just once. Um, there's no hint of a view on the Prime Minister's impending energy strategy. And for a Johnson government document, I think there was a record low number of mentions of levelling up, um, thank goodness, in my view. But all in all, this highlights an aspect of the Chancellor's approach that he's keen to mention explicitly, including in that May's lecture. He's not a Heseltinian interferer. He likes to think the free market, once the conditions are set up, will do things well itself. Outside his championing the Freeport agenda, he is not really very into industrial strategy himself. What he is into is making the UK a place that attracts investment and ideas naturally. The mindset that businesses should take when approaching this chancellor is that half of all business government conversations tend to be about prospective investments. And Rishi Sunak is as involved in the government's mission of boosting investment as any chancellor has ever been. So I think despite these uh, absences, concentrate on that theme of investment and you will get an attentive audience in the Treasury. Back to you, Kieran. Thanks very much, Giles. Um, so, Tim, final question and, and building a bit on, on what Giles has just said there. Uh, for a long time, people have said that we don't know what Rishi Sunak's vision for the economy is. After yesterday, do we have a clearer sense now than we did before? And, and what does that mean from a business perspective? Yeah, so I think it is now pretty clear what 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 he wants to be um, at, uh, at least, and I think that is a pretty traditional Thatcherite Tory. So he, you know, he puts fiscal responsibility first, even if that means raising tax. Now, now that's what Margaret Thatcher did, and now he wants to follow in Thatcher's footsteps. And having fixed the public finances, he want, now wants to, to to cut taxes. But as as we've discussed, you know, that is not an easy um, feat to, to to pull off. More, more broadly, and Giles talked about this, he has now set out his vision for how to grow the economy and tackle the, long, the UK's long-term economic challenges you know, in, in, in that May's lecture, and, and which he reiterated uh, yesterday. And you know, essentially, as many previous chancellors has, he's, he identified low product productivity as the main long-term challenge, and, and, and that that's caused by lack of business investment, poor skills, uh, and, and a slowdown in, in the rate of technological Progress now. That's not a particularly revolutionary diagnosis, and this proposed policy response is also pretty 
mainstream in many ways. It, it sort of marks a return to the to the pre-financial crisis economic consensus that emerged in the 90s and, and, and 2000. Essentially, the, the state is an, is an enabler of private sector-led growth based on, 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 on free markets and fiscal discipline, although, you know, with, with a sort of uh, a, a clear acknowledgement of, of the limits of, of those levers. So it's pretty uh, mainstream. Um, uh, while it's not rev- not revolutionary, I do think from a from from a business perspective, it, it it may lead to potentially significant reforms to the business tax system over the coming month that 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 Giles um, talked about. So from a business spec, uh, perspective, I think the, the sort of key takeaway from yesterday, I think, is that there is a significant opportunity to work with the Treasury now over the coming months to help shape those reforms in in in, in the run up to, to to the budget in the autumn. I think the thing I would say is that. You know, it was a very much an open offer to business yesterday. Uh, that the Treasury, I expect, will get a huge number of representations uh, on on these tax proposals. So, you know, having well crafted, evidence based uh, uh, proposals, as well as a clear sense of which officials to engage with, I think it's be very, very important. Well, thank you very much, Tim, um, and also to Giles and to everyone that has joined us on the call today. Uh, We hope that you found this helpful. Um, As ever, if you do have any questions or would like to follow up on any of the points uh, raised, please do get in touch. All right. Thank you very much and goodbye.